extra spit at your gum and <laughs> void your bladders. <laughs> it's time for. <laughs> Welcome to the Boiled Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Howdy, Don. Hey, y'all, I'm Sam. Sam, it's Donnie. good to see ya. God, a, you. God, know, it's good I'm, to be seen. <laughs> I'm grateful to see you. I've been I've been hurling gratitude grenades. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what those things are? Have been waking me up, dude. I have never been one to say it's, it's great to be seen rather than viewed. But holy shit! Well, I know you had health difficulties, and I'm wondering when I had was facing possibly being paralyzed or death from strokes, mm -hmm. my perception of the value of the present moment changed. And I was wondering if there's been any change with you. First, what happened to you? In, uh, so now in I'm shaking sentence. my fist at the world. No, um, <laughs> uh, I, I had double pulmonary embolisms. So Friday a week ago, um, I, uh, we were walking the dogs, um, and I had had something happen, uh, two days prior that I thought was adrenaline because one of the dogs had gotten out the, the door without the leash. And so I chased her and caught her and then leashed her up and we walked and, you know, my heart was racing and all that during that time. And I just kind of thought this is adrenaline, sure. um, and didn't have anything that persisted. But then two days later, we're just walking the dogs and two blocks into the walk. I'm short of breath, chest pains, lightheaded. I get home. I call my doctor because I'm thinking I've got an asthma attack. I'm just like, this feels like a lung issue. Mm -hmm. Well, it was, but it was one that can kill you. Uh, and, um, and they said, go to the ER. I did. Uh, and ultimately, they, uh, they did a CAT scan and found that uh, not one, but two uh, blood clots in my lungs, one on each side that fortunately were not complete blockage and admitted me to the hospital and, uh, and treated me just with blood thinners. It's amazing. Uh, found but that's, the source that's life threatening. Oh yeah. It's I mean, 25% like of the second. time you drop dead instantly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, and, and, uh, found the source of the clot Sunday morning and released me at noon on Sunday. Uh, and I'm on blood thinners and no limitations. Do what you feel like you can do. I'll just get winded a little bit easily right now, but that's already improving. So yeah, it was a little bit of a reminder of like, you know, there's more important things in life than the nothing that... like impending death focuses yeah, the mind. But I got to tell you, this was nothing like the, uh, the appendicitis that I went through back in 2016. Yeah. That was the one where I just had this nice, long, drawn out period of I turned my my will in my life over to the care of God through medical science yeah. and uh, the care of nurses and doctors and staff at that hospital who I, you know, I was clueless as to what to do and what was going on. I'm just kind of like, here's my body. Fix me, yeah. please. Yeah. And how uh, long and did it last afterwards? 
Um, how long did the, did what last? The, the, well, my experience is that there was afterwards, there was a period of, gosh, I think for me, it lasted months and months of just an incredible appreciation for every yeah. day in a way that, you know, now slowly it goes back and becomes, and life becomes normal again. And then petty things begin to irritate me and I have to start working the program really hard. But at the very beginning, it was like, it was so easy to, to let go of things that were out of my control because I realized that it was out of my control and I didn't want to waste any time. Yeah. You know, I, that, that was my experience too, with, with that appendicitis time, there was a long tail on that gratitude, on that and, awareness, um, on that lack of, of, uh, on that, that pettiness, petty shit, not bothering me um, yeah. so much. It does yeah. build back up. Yeah, we start um, sweating the small stuff. This was kind of like a booster shot. Dear God, please don't give me any more booster shots. Um, but this was kind of <laughs> like a booster shot on that of, oh yeah. Don't pet the sweaty stuff and don't sweat the petty stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is another little wake up call. Well, I, I moved to Palm Springs last year. I planned to die here. I kind of figured I might get old first. That's the hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's um, not rush this. <laughs> um, but it's, it's another one of those things that I'm so grateful that I got Greg um, because together we're, we're taking care of each other and, and he, you know, hugely taking care of me. No matter what comes up, we're okay. And we're taking care of each other. And that's what we have proven to ourselves over and over throughout our time together. Oh God, 22 years. Um, and it just continues to be something that, that we are more and more there for each other. And now that, you know, it's really, it literally is just the two of us um, all the way out here, away from all the other family that, that both of us have, um, it's all that much stronger that we've got each other. That's great. Well, let's hope you don't get another gratitude grenade. <laughs> no more <laughs> booster <laughs> shots. So it's wonderful. We have a guest. We do have a guest. Hi, guest. Who are you? Hello, I'm Sherman. I'm an alcoholic. Sherman. Hey, Sherman. Thanks so much for coming. Sherman, yeah. have, have you ever had a gratitude grenade thrown in your life? Like well, where it's gone kablooey and you discovered a new way of letting go out of it? I, listening to you guys and what you've been through and Sam, it's really terrible. Um, so recently, <laughs> I've been very good about COVID. I've been doing all the things that I need to do. I got my first shot. My partner and I went to get lunch afterwards. We don't eat breakfast typically, so we're very, very hungry at lunchtime. And we let our guard down a little bit. We went to a place that we probably should not have gone to. And we both ended up getting COVID. Mm. And um, it is nasty. Let me tell you, it is nasty. You get symptomatic COVID. So I was sick for two and a half days. And right in the middle of that, there was this point where I was like, okay, the next step is going to be the hospital. Um, you know, it's fever, body aches, just, you know, really, really nasty. And I didn't. Uh, fortunately, we both got through that. The fever broke and we both got better. But afterwards, it does 
it does make you think a lot of people have died from this disease as we know mm -hmm. of and, all um, ages and and you never know what the reason could be what the physiology may have been that caused a certain person at 40 to die and another person to be completely asymptomatic but anyway i'm very very grateful um and it does give you some perspective i want to stick around a while too sam yeah <laughs> i hope you will <laughs> i'd like for you to do that yeah <laughs> i'm glad y'all got through that okay yeah yeah and now I've, I've had both my vaccinations and um, my partner should get his well he's protected now for the data shows at least three months well okay. you can you can go get breakfast now right <laughs> <laughs> you can start licking doorknobs again <laughs> what was the symptoms like i mean you, you i've hear, well, heard about COVID a lot i don't know if you guys have ever had the flu yeah. not you know people talk about oh i had the flu but most of the time they don't really have the flu influenza feels like you've been hit by a Mack truck and it was that same kind of feeling. It just knocks you off your feet. Um, you're instantly in bed. It's body ache, myalgia, fever. And interesting that has these stabbing pains in my joints. And I think people are different. Their symptoms can be different, but um, it was like influenza. It was pretty nasty. Now, like you couldn't enjoy Andy of Mayberry or I Dream of Jeannie or some old television shows and kind of like enjoy being sick. You were too sick. You were too sick. You're too sick. You just want to gotcha. be in bed. And I love an Andy Griffith show, but uh -uh, I was not watching anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So sure, um, I, I do know a little something about you, Sherman, considering, you know, you used to sponsor me. You <laughs> poor man. <laughs> so being an atheist during this period of, of such severe illness, was there any prayer? Was there any, I don't know, uh, mindfulness, any, I mean, what, what, what was going on with your, I guess I would say spiritual life? Yeah, Sam, I think it was just, um, you're so, so sick. You just want to get through the next hour. You, you can't sleep at night. So <laughs> having, uh, a mindfulness or a, a, a spiritual uh, serenity it was not really something that was so super conscious in me. Um, I mean, you know, I was, I was calm and I was, I was peaceful. Uh, I had the support of my partner and I supported him and we were fine and we were in contact with other people, but um, yeah, it was just, it was just really getting through it. Just get me to You're the other too end. And my, partner, like I said, he had it for, uh, he was about two and a half days ahead of me. He got the fever broke and he got better. So I knew the, the end was coming for me one way or the other. Gotcha. So did you, did you find yourself pulling on anything? Uh, I mean, I, I, anything I, I know in the, the obvious answer. Yeah. The obvious answer to me is yes, because you've been living this program for so long. It's just part of your life, but yeah. I mean, anything stand out program wise that you, pulled on as a resource or something that has changed in you because of program that helped you get through this time? Well, I, you know, I just think that I have a base serenity in my life. I have a calmness and a peacefulness in my life um, that I am totally thankful for. And I attribute it to the program. And I think that is, I think that's a very important thing to have in, in a hard time. And, um, and that was a hard time. Um, so yes, and 
underneath there was there was a calmness and a serenity that um, that I think pulled me through. I like that. That that is one of those um, unexpected results of uh, coming into these rooms and working this program. Who knew that that was one of the things we would get? Oh yeah, stability in life. You definitely get that. So you're yeah. starting from a base level of serenity when life's problems hit us. If we're starting from a place where my serenity level is down here way at the bottom, then, you know, I've got to deal with the anxiety of whatever I'm going through, but I'm not starting from where I'm already at the boiling point and my life is a wreck and everything is out of control and I feel responsible to control everything. And right. then my life goes terribly out of control. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's um. The program has given me that. It's given me, um, like I said, a stability in life through making the right choices on a daily basis, you, through doing the right things, through learning some of the tools that are in the steps, um, such as meditation, those kinds of things. Yeah, that that basic serenity. I just, I just, I love that about my life now, that I do have a sereneness and a calmness in my life. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up with, um, I grew up with alcoholism. I grew up in a very chaotic family situations and divorces and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I hated it. I hated all that chaos around me all the time. But what was so interesting is that when I started drinking, there was part of that chaos that I got attracted to. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted a little bit of it in my life. But then getting sober and moving forward in my life, I could see where that chaos and all of that in the past was wreckage. And I really, really wanted to move away from that. And yeah, I've been sober. My sobriety date is April 1st, uh, 1994. And so I have some time. But, um, and I can just say, you know, after all this period of time that um, life is very, very good for me. I'm very, very happy where I am today. We have about the same amount. I got yeah. sober in, in 94 as well. Yeah. And I liked what you're saying. You know, I find myself in prayer and meditation, letting go. I'm trying to watch my thinking. So this is something that meditation has given me so that I don't have to participate in my thinking when it's chaotic thinking and it rises up, uh, but it's like, I I've realized I've got where sometimes not all the time, but sometimes I can realize this is a path. If I go down this path, I'm going to make myself miserable. I don't need to participate in this train of thought, whether it be a resentment um, for somebody in my life that I don't have control over. It's like, oh, well, if I start, okay, if I keep doing this, I'm going to get worked up and, and I don't even need to do it because I can't control it. So I let go of it. It's like letting go of it at the top of the hill before you know, <laughs> I start running down that hill with my anger and resentment. And the same thing's true with all kinds of things. I mean, I did, I've been doing it with COVID. I've done it with politics, where I'm letting go of it. I'm not entertaining the thinking. 
and it's very it's kind of hard to explain my sponsees just goes i don't forget it i can't do that this is some ninja recovery shit but (laughs) or maybe it's just that you're full of shit and you're not really doing it it. i mean you know it may be it may be (laughs) but i don't know do you identify with that in any way absolutely i you know we're constantly you know bombarded by things that uh, that can cause us to go to the boiling point very quickly and you see these things on social media you see them you know you're you're exposed to them constantly and um uh, yes this become very clear to me that i have a choice i can either go into that and make myself angry make myself resentful and be able to do absolutely nothing about it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or I can make a choice of not engaging in that and engaging what's, you know, things that are positive and good for me and things that I can make a difference in, which is mainly changing myself. Okay, guys. All right. So I got former sponsor here, former grand sponsor here. Both of you are (laughs) old farts in recovery who've got some like good (laughs) shit going on. Timer. <laughs> you that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die um so seriously i I've, I've gotten the taste i've gotten more than a taste of what you guys are talking about about realizing of uh, that oh shit i'm picking up this hot coal again and i don't want to carry it i don't want it um and so i put it down and then i pick it up again and then i put it down and then i pick it up again and i put it down where were you, I guess, two, two, th- twofold, where were you in your recovery when, or, or is that, was that a part of your journey in, to where you are now in being able to let these things go of picking them up, putting them down, picking them up, putting them down, picking them up, putting them down. And is there something specific that comes to mind about uh, how, how you got to where you stopped picking those things up whenever once you realized, oh, I need to put that down. I don't need that in my life. I'm going to let that go. You know, what comes to mind, Sam, is, um, and by the way, <clears throat> you were a great sponsee. I enjoyed sponsoring you. You know, you learn a lot from sponsees and you learn. <laughs> many- that could be backhanded. Stop laughing right at that, Don. <laughs> You learn different things from sponsees. Um, I know I've learned a lot from so. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is not a roast. <laughs> but um, I've got some things that I, you know, that I've, I've, I look back on that, that you actually taught me. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Things around fear, meditation, those kinds of things. You had some good things to say about that in our sessions. But what I'm reminded of right now, what you're talking about is progress, not perfection. First of all, I, I would say that I should not ever want to achieve perfection. I think that is a, a false goal. And if we try to go there, we're going to drive ourselves crazy. But we have to realize that this program is a process. It's a, it's, it, it's a path. It's a journey. And we should be hoping and we should be making progress albeit very incremental at at times, very small increments at times, but we should be making that progress. You know, that's what I am striving for is to just make those baby steps at a time. So when I'm picking those things up and putting them down, 
I hope that each time I do that, there's a, I've learned a little bit more that I really don't need to pick it up next time. I really don't need to go on that site, on the website that makes me so furious. I just don't need to go there. So why do that? Mm -hmm. It doesn't change anything. So why do it? And so it's those kind of small incremental things that we learn over time. Uh, it's, a, it's progress and it's a process. And um, so you can say progress, not perfection. You can say process, not perfection. So Ooh, I like, I like that. Yeah. I like that. I like that answer, Sherman. That's, I mean, that's exactly it. It's just, it's experience of, right. of failure at it. And like, you know, oh, this is not, this is futile. It, I can say that for me, having the strokes a few years ago, was an integral part of it. I started letting go on an entirely different level after that, when I realized that, it, I don't know, I just took it in physically that life is too precious to waste spinning my wheels in impotent rage. <laughs> it's, I just, I just don't need to do it. I, I got other things I want to accomplish. So that was part of it, which doesn't mean that I don't do it all the time. I'm, that it works all the time. I'll fall into it and find myself in it. But like you said, Sherman, I really like serenity. And when I came in, I did not like it. It was boring. It felt <laughs> very dull. And I remember talking to my sponsor about this, like, this is like, there's just dull. He said, I wonder if you're feeling serenity i wonder if that's what this is <laughs> oh gosh not that never that <laughs> it's like it's okay there's no turmoil it's okay just sit in it let it be so when you came in sherman in 94 on april fool's day is that when you came to aa no it's not um my so Alcoholism is strong with my family. It's, uh, I like to say the force is strong with my family. <laughs> I was going to say it sounded like Yoda. <laughs> Alcoholism um, is strong in this one. <laughs> I have a wonderful family. Um, you know, uh, they're, they're great people. And my parents raised me. Um, they were good people. They raised me well. Um, but alcoholism is strong in our family. And um, when I first came in, um, I had been going to meetings since I was 15 years old. So I had been going to meetings with my dad back in the days when they smoked in the rooms. And I would sit in the back with my book and you could watch the cigarette smoke accumulate at the top of the room yes. and you could watch it <laughs> drop down. And I literally was moving down in my chair as the smoke <laughs> got lower and lower by the end of the meeting. Oh my God. <laughs> so, I don't want to die in here in right. the gas chamber. <laughs> but um, so I've been going to meetings for a long, long time. And my dad, when I would go to visit him, he'd say, we're going to a meeting. And we would go to a speaker meeting typically. And that's what brought me in actually was listening to the stories. I would hear these horrific stories, these people talking about how horrible their lives had gotten. And that's not my story. Um, my story is uh, I'm a fairly high bottom, what we call high bottoms. Um, but I would hear these horrific stories and I think, ah, I'm not an alcoholic. And then I would hear somebody talk 
and they would tell my story. Now, this is years later when I was going to meetings with my dad. I knew I was alcoholic. I knew I had a problem. I knew I had to quit. And I stopped and I went for six years without going to meetings. What I, I was going to meetings with my dad when I would visit him, but I wasn't going to meetings. And I got to a point in my life where I was either going to pick up or something had to change. And that's when my dad said, I told him I had six years sobriety. And I said, dad, the thing that I really feel about being sober is that I feel free. And he looked at me and he said, you need to get your ass in a meeting. I think that was the, when he first realized that I was an alcoholic because my dad and I had not lived together. So he didn't see my behavior firsthand. Um, Wait a minute. So that's when I Wait went. a minute. You said you told him you felt free and he said, you need to get to a meeting. Exactly. What do you mean? I mean, if you're feeling free, that's good. Well, I think, like I said, I think that's when he realized, okay, my son is alcoholic. If you feel freedom from alcohol, Oh, this was that from drinking. Is, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. That was my big feeling when I got sober. I felt like a ball and chain had been taken off of me. I just, freedom was the, was the one word that I could, it, it, alcohol is so binding. It just ties mm. you down so much. Everything has to be controlled. You've got to know if that party is going to have alcohol served there, you've got to drink before you go. You've got to know if you're going to be able to drive, you know, all these kinds of things that have to be controlled. And, you know, so when I got sober, I didn't have to worry about that stuff anymore. I was free. And so when I told my dad that he was like, that's alcoholic thinking, get your ass in a meeting. So I went to my first meeting actually on my own. That would have been 2000 in Durham, North Carolina. And wait a minute. Uh, I've Go still ahead. got to ask a question. So tell me why he said you need to go to a meeting if you have quit drinking and you're talking about feeling free. Ooh, ooh, I know, I know. Horse shack moment. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> Sam, take it for five. I really, I, I do. Uh, this was in my head the whole time you were telling that, Sherman. And I, 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 I want to see if I'm right. Because you were successfully not drinking, but... I, I have quit drinking. I didn't quit drinking for six years on my own, but, but what I found when I came into these rooms, I also didn't get a sponsor for the first uh, eight months of my sobriety. Um, the desire to drink had been removed very quickly after that last drink. But what I learned was that if I want it to stay gone, I've got to get a program. I've got to, to do something that's going to lead me to a solution. Just not drinking is not going to work for me. Was it something along those lines of a solution, how to stay stopped? Absolutely. I think that my father, my father was 34 years sober through the program of AA when he died. And I think that he realized when I was talking to him, what was going on in my life. You know, he just, you know, he, he said, you need to go to AA and uh, on your own. And that's when I started going and he was right. Um, I went to a newcomers meeting in Durham, North Carolina, didn't say a word for a year, picked up a seven year chip and they all looked at me like I had gone crazy. <laughs> and then that I found got a wet brain. Silent Sam over here has got seven years and he's only been coming here a year. <laughs> right. 
then I went to a group where um, I was comfortable. Um, it was a smaller group and I started speaking. I started actually talking. And um, that's, you know, that's one of those things that um, changes your sobriety when you go to a meeting and you actually start sharing. That's one of those things that really changes your level of sobrieties. Mm. Like when you you start taking on sponsees, that's another leveler change. It changes mm -hmm. the level of your sobriety. Mm -hmm. When you start sharing and you start sharing intimately at a meeting, that changes, I believe, the level of your sobriety. And that's what happened to me. That's when you let yourself be known. Right. Start to become a part of right. rather than and on the fringe. I love that you're talking about levels um, because that's, you know, one of the things I've talked about, uh, you know, I've, I've said this to folks when they've done their fifth step, you know, sponsees and also you know, new friends in the program. It's like, you have just leveled up. You have just achieved a, a, a point in recovery that a lot of people never do just by completing your fourth step and doing this fifth step. Exactly. There are so many people who never do that. That's another level. You just got into another inner circle, if you will, by right. doing that. You know, sharing, opening up in a meeting is one of those early things that we can do yep. that, you know, it's not working steps. It's, it's not having to, to even ask for that sponsor. It's simply dropping the wall just enough to say, hey, I'm Sam, I'm an alcoholic and this is a question I have, or this is what's going on, or this is what I think about what I just heard or, you know, whatever. You know, there were levels in my drinking. Oh yeah. <laughs> I will never forget when I found out that I could buy not one beer or six beers, but I could buy a case of beer. That was like huge. <laughs> yes. I mean, I was pretty young, but I was like, wow, I can buy 24 beers at a time. Mm, good idea. The level cheaper. <laughs> It's cheaper. Fin financially prudent, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Although you do tend, if you're an alcoholic, to drink however much is there. So it's not exactly. really cheap. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Stop pointing out the flaws, Don. You're so negative. <laughs> Sherman, what did you, can you put into words what you got from AA that you quit drinking, you felt like you had incredible freedom, then you start going to AA. What did you gain? Fellowship. So I gained a group of people that I could relate to who understood me and I understood what they were saying. And that connection is huge. I mean, to me, that's what the program is. This is a program of stories and we share our stories with each other and we, we share our experience with each other. And <clears throat> that's really pretty much it. And that's what I found when I came in. I, I, I was like, again, you know, somebody would talk about something that I completely did not relate to at all. The next person would speak up and I would hear just something that was amazing. I'll never forget when I was going to the meeting in Durham, newcomers meeting, there was an old man who came to the meeting there and he was, um, you know, you could tell he had drunk, he had had a really hard life and he had basically really fried his brain from alcohol and drugs but he was there. He was there every meeting that I went to and he would speak up often. And most of the time I could, I didn't understand a word he was saying, but every now and then, you know, and like I, you mentioned, Sam, I'm not particularly religious, but it, it was like the heavens opened up 
and light came down on top of this man and he would say something so precise and so piercing that I was like, wow, that's exactly what I needed to hear at this moment. And it would be crystal clear and that would be it. And the rest of what he would say would be unintelligible, but it was, it was there. It was those kinds of connections that made me understand this fellowship has got something that I want and something that I need. And this fellowship is, has the potential to help keep me sober. Can you describe working the steps? Did you, did you get into the steps? I did. I unfortunately got a sponsor. I'm gay. So I got a sponsor that in the very beginning who was gay as well. And I went over to his house to work the first step. And he basically kind of answered the door in what I would describe as a negligee. I was like, uh, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think this is how we're supposed to work the steps. But um, so anyway, I, I did so ditch it, him pretty quickly. And um, I ended up getting a sponsor who was just uh, fantastic. A guy who he had worked the steps, had been through them. He understood me and that I've got a little bit of a, you know, I, I'm, I, I need to write things down. I need to really think through things. And he was very good in helping me go through the steps, understanding what the steps meant. Uh, I wanted to know what each step meant. You know, what was the basis for that step? Why was it there? Why do I have to talk about character defects? You know, I want to know the basis for each one of these things. And he was really good at helping me go through all of those. And we went through all, all 12 steps. And um, it, was, uh, it was exactly what I needed at that time. The steps are amazing in that I'm the same way, Sherman. I wanted to know behind every step, what's the reason before I get involved in this thing? I don't want to sign on to anything I don't believe in. But the thing about the steps that's incredible is that you can work through all of the steps without any of that knowledge and they'll work. Or you can delve into all the knowledge of the basis behind it and how it works and why, and it works. I mean, and it, you can also do it and not believe that it'll work. You can and it'll work. I was just talking with a sponsee who hates the expression, fake it till you make it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. which I like the expression mm-hmm. because I identified with it. Cause I, it's what I did. I, d- I didn't believe in a, in a God and a higher power at all, but I decided that I could model myself after my sponsor he, and he did that. And so I did it. And then I had a spiritual experience. So something happened to me to where there's some, something that I can't describe, which is really difficult for me because I'm want to understand and describe everything. You know, the intellectual part is harder for somebody who's like that. I think than somebody who's not, who will just take it and run with it. But I had to explain it and, and, and think about all of it. Right. Uh, Think, think, think. That's and why Don, they turn I, that poster upside down in so many yeah. meetings. <laughs> Don, I got I got to tell Sherman because I've, I've said it a few times on the podcast, but Sherman, I, I'm sure that at some point you may not recall that I uh, told you about Don 
because uh, within like the first three months of me coming into the rooms, you know, I had this problem with the word God. I just, you know, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. And then I heard Don tell his story and he uh, was talking about how he had the problem with the word God when he came in here, but he had this concept and it took about 10 minutes to explain what it was. And so he just would take that 10 minutes to explain it every time rather than say the word God. And then one day he got, wow, it'd be really just a hell of a lot easier to say God because I know what I mean and it doesn't matter what you think I mean. Uh, and that clicked for me instantly and gave me access to that. So I so relate to your your got to explain things, Don, and I'm really glad that you do, uh, or that was a part of you, yes. um, because Don, you you gave me access to being able to be an atheist who prays to God. <laughs> yeah, whatever, some power. So you said at the very beginning, Sherman, you're an atheist. How do you surrender to a higher power? I think that um, that has been a, a process for me. Uh, I think I've had a lot of the experiences you guys have talked about, fake it till you make it, that kind of stuff. Um, when we got to step three with my sponsor, he was pretty much like, you know, so this is a long time ago, but um, he was like, why don't we just drop this and let it go and let's let's move on and, and you can pick that up later. So I was able to pick that up later. And for me, my higher, higher power is nothing more than the collective wisdom of the group. It's the experience, strength, and hope that the group has. I, you know, I hope nobody looks down on me because that's all I believe it is. I certainly don't look down on anybody because they believe in God as, as a supreme being. Um, I think what is important is that we all come together and let us believe what we need to believe. And, you know, what I try to teach sponsees when they're working with their sponsees is meet your sponsee where they are. When it comes to step three, meet your sponsee where they are. Don't try to change them. Don't try to make them something else. Don't try to, you know, steps one, two, and the rest of them, yeah, you've got to teach them something about those steps. But step three is their personal choice. And they need to have the freedom to be able to make that choice. If I have a sponsee who wants to believe in God, we can take off and go. I can work them through the book. There's no big deal. The words are written as they are written. If I have a sponsee who comes in who's their atheist, we have to do a little bit of interpreting. But this program works beautifully for them as well. And I'm able to do that. So I think it's really important that we try to meet sponsees where they are on that one thing. Can't meet them where they are on the drinking issues. You have to keep <laughs> them. Uh, you do not pick up a drink. Um, Sherman, I love that, and and that I think is is one of the most important lessons that I've gotten. And while you and I were working together, or shortly after, I had a young gay man who uh, I was sponsoring that had this. He, he was a fundamentalist Christian who had grown up in, in rural North Carolina uh, with, with a very fundamentalist Christian family that had such a very negative view of, of being gay. And that was such a moment of growth, an opportunity for me to grow when I was sponsoring him, when I learned that about him, when we were particularly at step three, not to judge that mm -hmm. 
or at least let my judgment of that out to let him be where he is with his relationship with whatever higher power, God, whatever it is, because that's, that was his. And it was, you know, if that's something that down the road changes for him, then fine, but that is not mine to mold. And me having that awareness from sponsorship that I had received so that I did not inject my own judgment, my own values, my own everything into that situation served both of us in it. Exactly. I wish that, you know, in secular AA, we don't really talk about God so much, but you know, I don't really have a problem with God or a spiritual part of our lives being a part of our recovery. I, you know, I, th- I think having a spiritual powers that you can tap into, having a spiritual life are very powerful things for people. And they can be used to help people with their sobriety. So, I, you know, I think that those things are, um, I, I don't want to pass any kind of judgment on any of the thing like that. You know, it is, it's a shame that people have to come in. I, I hear of people coming into the program so many times and they're like, they, they talked about God and I, I walked out. And that's, mm-hmm. that's such a shame that they have to go through that process, that they have to interpret that, um, where if maybe we didn't talk about it at all, they would just stay there. But either way, I really personally, I'm, you know, this is one of those things, this is one of those rocks I put down a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, yeah. you know, I just don't wrestle with this one anymore. I accept people where they are. I accept whatever type of sobriety they're trying to lead in their lives. And I want to, you know, I try to learn from them. Drop the rock. Yes. <laughs> don't throw it. Which <laughs> Somebody <laughs> dropped a rock on my head. <laughs> Stop. Ow. <laughs> It's time for our old timers question. Who you calling an old timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, Sam, it's still one day at a time. That's the way it works for all of us. I don't know why I'm so angry about it. Because you're a crotchety old timer, you crusty old thing. (laughs) Um, All right. So uh, as I scroll through the Rolodex of questions that we have, um, I think we're going to go with Tasha in Lynchburg, Virginia asks, don't you get bored? Is life boring? Wow. No, life is not boring. Now, when I came into AA, my greatest concern was that life was going to be one long gray day, but I'm going to have to do this because I've got to quit drinking and I'll be the victim of, of AA. (laughs) I'm the victim of AA because I'm not going to drink. I'm going to surrender, but I'm not going to have any more fun because it's all gone. And what I had to realize was I had given alcohol all the power. I gave alcohol my creativity. I thought I would never be creative. 
once I got sober because I'm an artist, I'm a painter and a musician and all that's gone. I'll never be able to do that again. And I, you know, I gave it the, I, I gave alcohol all the fun in the world that I thought it was all there and that I was not going to have, be able to have those bright, bubbly, effervescent social times where I'm full of energy talking to someone else and really connected and laughing and everybody's having, that's all going to be gone because I thought it was impossible without alcohol and it's all possible. You, you know, speaking of higher power, alcohol was my higher power when I was drinking. I gave it all power. And I couldn't go to events if there wasn't going to be alcohol. So to discover that I could not drink and that all of that was still available was a surprise. Alcohol kind of hid it from me <laughs> that it was possible. Yes, it's possible. I mean, I, I paint every day right now. It's one of the gifts of COVID is I've been home and I can paint. I could do artwork every day. I've continued to play music. I'm incredibly creative. All creativity is available to me. And it's not boring in the least. Life is full of challenges and uh, joy. One way that it's not boring that I never suspected was that by participating in AA, uh, and now I'm doing them on Zoom meetings on a regular basis, that I'm in meetings with people who have quit drinking one week and they don't know how they're going to get through the end of the week. And I, I can offer support because I've been there and I've listened to fifth steps of people who have done things in their life that they're ashamed of, that they, they don't want to live that way anymore. And in the process of writing a fourth step, taking a personal inventory and then sharing it with another person. I can be the person they're sharing it with and listen to it and say, you know, I did that and I, I don't have to be that person anymore and you don't have to be that person anymore. And to be able to reach out my hand in that sort of way and be useful and available to other people is so rewarding. It's the opposite of boredom because it's usefulness. It's it's having a living, a useful life with purpose that is something that was invisible and unavailable to me until I came to AA and got sober. And living this way, I couldn't visualize it. It seemed like it was going to be horrible, <laughs> but turns out it was absolutely the opposite. Thank you, Don. Sherman, don't you get bored? Is life boring? Life is absolutely not boring today, but I do remember that feeling, Don, that you had of like in the very beginning. Well, first of all, before I quit drinking, while I was drinking, knowing that I was going, that I had to make a choice and the choice was not to drink. I was like, I had that feeling of, how do you live life without alcohol? how do you do this? And it took me a while to get through that process of, 
I just don't know how that's going to work on a daily basis. Shortly after I got sober, I went to a wedding down in Charleston. The whole trip I was dreading, what am I going to do, first of all, with all this alcohol around me? And then this is going to be so boring if I'm not basically drunk. I got down there and I remember in the, the reception afterwards, after the wedding and everybody was there and people were drinking and people were having a good time and the music was ramping up. And I just had this moment of like, you know, screw it. I'm going to have a good time. So I just started having a good time. I just got out there and started dancing and I started meeting people and, and I knew what I was saying. I knew what they were saying back to me. I wasn't taking my clothes off and acting like a jerk. You know, I was, you know, I was having a, an actual real good time that I could look back on and say that was fun. That was an eye-opening experience for me that, yes, you can experience and enjoy life sober and it's completely fine. You can actually do it. And I love that. Uh, and today, my life is so unboring. I mean, you know, I'm in retirement now and life is just, I don't know, it's electric. I love life. That's attractive. It's electric. I love it. Thank you. I, <laughs> Sherman, you just totally brought a memory back for me that, uh, oh, considering all the other things that I've shared on this, this podcast, I might as well share this one. And <laughs> I was uh, in Germany for work and it was the last night in town and there was a giant, well, a giant sex event going on at a multi-level facility in that town. And I decided I'm going to go check this out. I'm sober and I show up and I check my clothes at the door. And so there I am standing on the edge of the dance floor, looking at this dance floor that has just, you know, not, there's not many people out on it. And I'm like telling myself, well, when, when there's more people on there, I'll, I'll go and dance. And then I looked down at myself with all of me showing and I laughed at myself and I went out and got out on the dance floor and had an absolute blast. I had a lot of other blasts there at that time too, but <laughs> I stopped taking myself so damn seriously. That is something that would have required a shot of, or three of, of vodka for me to do. It used to require that, you know, people are going to judge me because I don't dance right. Uh, I look funny and, and this, that, and the other. I used to have to have alcohol to get me out of the way so that I could have fun. I don't have to have alcohol today to get me out of the way. I might have to have a moment of awareness that I've gotten, I've let myself get in the way of me living life again, but I have access to choosing to take steps about that, to, to get out of the way. Uh, and I did not have that before. I didn't have the tools. I didn't have experience to draw on. Um, I just didn't have what I needed to let me live life as comfortably as so many other people seem to do. Alcohol is what gave me that comfort. When that stopped working, well, I was fucked. And, you know, here we go now. I have an amazing life. It's not boring. Now, you know, we talked about contentment earlier in, in, the, in the show. I do have moments of contentment um, where, you know, 
life is not like this effervescent thing that's like, you know, it's, it's not like Charo and, and like, I just totally dated myself, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Um, But um, y'all Google Charo, if you don't know what I'm talking about, (laughs) C-H-A-R-O. But I'm content. And then I have these moments of, of utter joy. You know, the first thing that was coming to my mind is uh, when I read the question and was thinking about it was, you know, Today, I get to be a, a good friend. I get to be a good, um, I'm self-employed, so a good service provider to my clients. I get to be a good member of the community. I get to be a good neighbor. Um, these are things that alcohol was in the way of me doing. It's not in the way anymore. And, and my life is not boring because my being a good friend, a good husband, a good neighbor, a good member of the community, a good businessman opens up so many opportunities for engagement with people, for opportunities to do really cool things, to meet people and have all kinds of fun or just contentment. There's nothing boring going on right now. Even, and this is crazy. This is crazy talk, y'all. Even a year into a pandemic, I'm not bored. And we've stayed home a lot. And that's pretty damn cool. Absolutely. Your story, Sam. (laughs) Now, we kept our clothes on, but my wife wanted to do contra dancing. And as I was going for the first time, I called my sponsor because I was filled with anxiety about it. And I was going, okay, well, here I go. I'm going to go do this dancing thing, totally sober. And he said, yeah, well, be careful. You might have a good time. (laughs) Now imagine if you'd been naked. Sherman, thank you so much for joining <laughs> for us. I'm really, I've, it's been so nice catching up with you. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thanks, guys. Oh, yeah. Watch out. Here it comes. Pesky, pesky <laughs> owl. Oh, <laughs> it sounded almost like you wanted to have a conversation. <laughs> it's got a cat in its mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Podcast is hosted on the 1st and 15th of every month. If you'd like to contribute to help with expenses, information on that is at the bottom of our website. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org. You can also email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. Also, a quick shout out. Sincere thanks. Jeremy and Noah, thank you so much for your contributions. We really appreciate you helping us with those. Thank you. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note that Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. So, no, I didn't. My partner grew up, his family had, well, they always called hard boiled eggs as boiled owls. And my partner was riding in a van uh, that his mother was driving when he was just a little guy and they had a wreck. Fortunately, everybody was okay, but he was eating a hard boiled egg at the time and a boiled owl. And so he will not eat an egg today. 
So when I told him I was, I have, you know, Sam has got this podcast and I'm going to be on the podcast with them and it's called the boiled owl. And he said, so are you guys going to spend an hour talking about boiled eggs? (laughs) (laughs) And you said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think we should record a special little podcast, just a little, you know, like two minute episode just for your spouse there. And we'll talk about eggs. (laughs) You know, now I don't think that you should overboil an egg because <laughs> it, the texture is important. I mean, I don't like a soft boiled egg, but a hard boiled egg is is really good. I like somewhere in between. I mean, where do you stand on that, Sam? Well, do you do you boil it with salt or or I've I've also heard I, that you put salt. vinegar in there. Vinegar makes it supposed to make it easier to peel the boiled egg. You're talking about a pickled egg. You're putting vinegar oh, in it. not that's, pickled boiled eggs. That's disgusting. A thousand-year-old egg is. Oh, oh what about those those black eggs? The eggs yeah. that are yes, that, that truly that's yeah. that is that's, disgusting. I had to sample one of those in China one time. Did, did you? you really? Yeah, and it um, you know so the deposit, the black deposit in there is hydrogen sulfide. Oh, so, so it stinks. Uh, it stinks. Smells like a fart. Like you're eating a fart. And um, I had to, at a dinner at a university where I was, anyway, they all looked at me like, you've got to taste this. So I was like, oh, oh my God. (laughs) Did it taste as bad as it it tasted horrible? You imagine? (laughs) That can be our merch. (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll distribute boiled owl eggs. (laughs) Well, you could. I guess you could just get those little chocolate eggs wrapped in foil and say they're owl eggs. Now that boiled owl eggs, foil owl <laughs> eggs. <laughs> I love a foil owl egg. You guys are crazy. Yeah, we really are, and we're sober. We, we got a good ten minutes on eggs there. There you did. <laughs>